Water Fowlers. This is the Old Timer coming to you with episode 33. I hope you enjoyed episode 30, 31, and 32 as they gave you some history on the first ever duck calling contest. Actually, episode 30 started with Boston, who held a contest for duck calling. And let me just say that it's, I'm not sure we would consider it an actual duck calling championship or contest. It was held inside of a building and most likely had a built-in pond in the building that they held it at. And they only had two ducks, it sounds like. And only the call that I could find described was whistling call. And I don't really have that much information on the Boston one in 1935. They had such a poor outcome, they decided to move it to New York for 1936. And it was held in the Grand Palace area of New York, which was a famous building. It's no longer standing, I don't believe. But inside the Grand Palace, they had a pool built. It was hard to determine the size of it. I only saw maybe half of it, so I can't give you an estimate. But for that contest in 1936, they didn't, they had to advertise a lot to even get a bunch of callers enough to hold a contest. And they only had, from what I can reading, two ducks on the pool. At one end, at the other end, they had the callers, and it never did describe what kind of calls it was. So, and I'm sure, so, because they had such a limited outcome, they were going to do it again in 37, 1937, and give it a try in New York, but they couldn't get enough duck callers, so I, I left you maybe with the, the uh, tension that they did have it in 1937, a duck calling contest, but they did not have it in 37 because they couldn't get enough duck callers together. Now, it's a different story with uh, episode 32, the one in Quincy, Illinois. Now, if you'll read or listen to episode 32, you will understand what I'm talking about. That was a real contest, duck calling. And as you know, Stuttgart didn't call start until 1936, and nobody would question whether it was a duck calling contest. And I think if you're truthful, you could probably say the same about the 1927 Quincy, Illinois duck calling championship contest. They also held it again in 1928 and couldn't hold it in 1929 because of the set of economic depression starting in 1928 with the Great Depression starting in 1929. So I hope you will listen to episode 30. Uh, episode 31 just takes up with Stuttgart with the second duck calling contest in 1937 and goes forward into the 1950s. So certainly episode 30, if you'll listen to it, episode 32, I think you'll get a really good uh, feel for what the first ever duck calling contests were. And you can decide for your own mind whether it was Quincy or Stuttgart. Today we're going to do episode 33. And that's going to be on the International Duck Calling Contest. I thought since I did three episodes on duck calling contests, we'd just stick with it for one more episode. I don't think too many people really know about the International Duck Calling Contest, which is held at Crowley's, Louisiana. So here we go with episode 33, the International Duck Calling Contest. Crowley, the largest city in Arcadia Parish in the heart of southwestern Louisiana, held its first rice carnival in 1927. On November the 12th, 1928, it held its second and final rice carnival due to the Great Depression. 
Back in January 1937, Crowley, to celebrate its golden jubilee of 50 years, Commissioner Saul Wilson suggested that a Reich Festival be held. But unlike the 1927 and 1928 Rice Carnivals, which were advertised only locally, he suggested it should be a national festival, thus the name National Rice Festival. It was only natural as 20 million bushels of the nation's 1939-50 million bushels U.S. rice crop, which represented two-fifths of the nation's total, were all grown within a 50-mile radius of Crowley. One-third to one-fourth of the nation's mills were located in this parish, giving Crowley good and sufficient claim to the title Rice Capital of America, or another version, the Rice City of America. The first National Rice Festival was held October the 5th, 1937, and annually thereafter until being canceled from 1942 to 1945 because of World War II. In 1946, the festival started up again as an antidote to wartime austerity. Its name was changed in 1947 to the International Rice Festival to focus national and international attention upon the rice belt of Louisiana. And if anything could focus more national attention than adding a duck calling contest to the festival, the organizers of the event couldn't think of one. Highlights of the two-day activities included the International Duck Calling Contest, the Banquet for Distinguished Guests, the International Frog Jumping Derby, the Coronation of the Festival Queen, the Grand Parade, a concert by Russ Morgan and his orchestra, the Cajun Dance Party Ball, the Cajun Story Hour, and the Grand Ball at the City Auditorium. Seven nations as widely separated as Belgium and Argentina sent beauties to compete in the Prince's Court and vie for title of Rice Queen. Furthermore, the post-war revival of interest in shooting had the festival invite the fastest and most entertaining handlers of guns in the country at that time. Winchester Western Exhibition shooter Herb Parson, who was on a nationwide tour, attended. Thereafter, he came back year after year to do exhibition shooting for the festival until his death in 1959. He became one of International's greatest single attraction. His exhibition drew thousands from miles and miles around to see him perform. He often jested that he should petition the Louisiana legislature to let him change his name to Herbert Poussin because he had so much South Louisiana blood in him. Fifty callers from South Louisiana and from Texas competed in the 1947 in front of five judges, two of which judged in the 1946 Stuttgart National Duck Calling Championship in blind set up on Main Street of Crowley. The chairman was Jim W. Barnett of Crowley, one of the organizers of the event. Representatives of some of the largest sporting goods concerns in the country were on hand for the event, and I hope I say this right, such as Von Langerdcare and Antoine of Chicago, Illinois. And even though I can't say that probably right, it was a famous out sporting goods store in Chicago. Barnett said that in the Cajun country, the ducks talked mostly French, and so a cane reed had to be used, whereas in place like Illinois, 
where the ducks were accustomed to English, the caller used a wood call with a metallic tongue. He claimed the cane call was worthless in the swampy habitats of the north, and the wooden calls were equally as ineffective in the Louisiana marshes. The broad lakes of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota, etc., he said, where much of the shooting is on passing birds, may call for a very loud, sharp-toned instrument. Similarly, the drowned section of western Tennessee calls for, that's real foot lake, calls for high, continuous notes. Both are far different from the softer, varied calls used in Louisiana marshes. After demonstrating his trick shooting, Parson was asked why professional guides from Stuttgart called so differently from what Cajuns were accustomed to in Cajun country. He answered that the multitude of trees and swamp shooting made it more difficult for mallards to hear a call, while the opposite was true in open marshes where sound carried more easily in Cajun country. In open marshes, one needed a loud, raucous, far-reaching call, while Stuttgart callers used a more subdued, mooted duck call. Now, if you listen to my next episode after this, that'd be episode 34, I'm going to take do an episode where the Louisiana duck callers take on Arkansas duck callers in a calling contest because they began arguing who was had the best callers. And what I just described just a few minutes ago or a minute ago is the reason they called differently in Louisiana and Arkansas. So listen to definitely this episode, but also episode 34. I guess, yeah, this is 33, so that'll be episode 34 on that one. So continuing on with episode 33, none other than French Cajun Florine Camp Champagne, and he pronounced it Champagne, of Port Arthur, nicknamed Pie, took the title at the first international duck calling championship in 1947 using his own Cajun cane call that he made. He was a recognized expert duck caller, wooden decoy maker, and market hunter in his earlier days. He was sometimes called the greatest waterfowl hunter ever. He market hunted in 1908 for the Heimel camp, joining his two brothers who were already market hunting for the camp, which was around the Lake Arthur area at Grand Lake area and Mallard Bay. And he was a cousin to the Heimels, H-Y-M-E-L. The three hunted there for two years at the Hamel camp. Their camp at Mallard Bay consisted of four houseboats moored at Snake Bayou. So they moored their boat at Mallard Bay, which was right at Grand Lake. In 1955, Pye Champagne hunted at Silas Dudley Camp at Lake Misery, M-I-S-E-R-E, I think it's Misery, whose goal was to provide 2,000 ducks a day to be shipped to the French market in New Orleans. Pye's quota was to shoot 200 ducks a day, which he didn't have any problem doing, shooting all on the wing with his Winchester Model 1897 and later shooting a Model 12. The other nine market hunters for the camp also had a quota of 200 a day. When market hunting died out, he guided for the Coastal Club and the Lake Arthur Club, and at one time he and his two brothers organized the Three Ace Hunting Camp in 1919. Among some of the big names that hunted with Champagne were Franklin Roosevelt, Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, and plenty more. It was reported that Champagne was a better shot with a 22 rifle than most with shotguns, 
And I mentioned he shot with an 1897 and a Model 12, but he also on occasions used the 22 rifle. If there were ever a finer ensemble of duck callers gathered at one event competing to see who was best, it would be hard to beat those assembled on November the 5th 1948 at Crowley, so this is the second year for the contest. A special group of judges had been chosen for the big contest. Andy Anderson, a Houston sports writer, and I think everybody that knows a little bit of history knows Bash, Nash Buckingham of Memphis, an Arthur conversation, and an expert duck hunter and sportsman. Another judge was C.T. Endall of Chicago, outdoor magazine writer. Art Mercier, Columbia Broadcasting Company. Herb Parsons, marksman and exhibition shooter for the Winchester Western Company, which I've mentioned. Reese Turtle, outdoor writer for Des Moines Register and Tribune newspaper. W.H. Bill Tanner of Von Langer K. and Antoine of Chicago, which I've mentioned that sporting goods store already. Dr. H.L. Gardner, Southwest Louisiana sportsman and well-known and Jim Barnett, chairman of the event. 120 duck callers included one woman and several state duck calling champions from Ohio, Texas, Illinois, Arkansas, Michigan, Montana, Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania. Several Stuttgart National Champions were entered. Now listen to this. 1947 Stuttgart National Champion Jake E. Gardner Chick Majors, 1945 National Champion. Howard Conrad, 1944 National Champion. Lewis Wilhelm, 1946 Champion. Others were Hummer J. Callouette of Greenville, Mississippi, 1942 National Champion. And Florine Pie Champagne of Lake Arthur, Louisiana, winner of the 1947 International Duck Calling Contest. So, folks, that's quite a list of duck calling champions. However, the strongest competition came from Paul Stroud of Arlington Heights, Illinois, 1947 Illinois champion, and Thad McCollum, one of the originators of the Stuttgart National Duck Calling Contest. And everybody knows pretty much knows history of the McCollum family. He was one of those. The night before the preliminaries, duck calls could be heard in every bar, in every cafe, hotel lobby, nightclubs as the contestants warmed up demonstrating their own peculiar type of call for family and friends. The next day being the preliminaries, Lieutenant Governor William J. Dodd spoke to, to the 100,000 assembled in Crowley for the annual rice festival and afterwards every type of call known to ducks was heard in the Crowley's contest. On day two, the finalists took each took their turn in front of Ten city blocks of listeners. To decide between them was, as Herb Parsons said, like trying to decide on the best horse between a racehorse and a plow horse where neither could do the work of the other. An Arkansas duck caller took high honors in the international contest, beating out 152 contestants who held from 20 states plus Nova Scotia. It was a stunning upset, and to everyone's amazement, an unknown one beating the best of the best. Henry Clifford, an Arkansas railroad worker from Humphreys, Arkansas, won, taking home a handsome silver-mounted plaque in addition to a trophy that was presented by Von Langerkay and Antoine and 10 crisp new $100 bills. In 1949 and 1950, 
Herb Parsons would win blowing a Lynn Benford duck call. And I don't, I do not know Lynn Benford, folks. I, if somebody knows him, I wish they'd contact me and let me know who he is. He was from Brownsville, Tennessee. Parsons first came to the Rice Festival in 1946 when Winchester Western sent him to give a shooting exhibition. It was then he suggested to Jim Barnett, and I mentioned Barnett earlier, that a duck calling contest should be a part of the festival. The rest is history. The contest, the international duck calling contest, continues to this very day. So that ends episode 33. I thought it'd be interesting just for most people, especially for me, because I don't, I don't really know that much about the international duck calling contest. Never been down there. Would love to go down there, but I think it's historical. And I think it's a, this is a good episode. Hope you enjoy it. I'm going to give you some old time history. I started doing that, I think, two episodes ago. Uh, will I just talk about different topics in the covering across the country? And I think since we did this on Louisiana, we'll just stick, stick with Louisiana. And it's going to be around White Lake, which was 12 miles west from Vermilion Bay. And just slightly northwest of White Lake was Grand Lake and Lake Arthur Club. And all historians will know the Lake Arthur Club, famous old legendary club in Louisiana. And we're going to talk about a market hunter. And there's a sports hunter that wants to get up with a market hunter just to see how the market hunter at, uh, hunts. So he goes on a hunting trip with this guy in December of 1913 on White Lake. And that market hunter that he's going to hunt with is Gene Beeshoe, B-E-E-S-H-O-O, a Cajun. And I know I'm not saying that right. He was one of the most successful market hunters of Vermilion Bay. And he was camped west of Long Point on White Lake for this hunt. And the, the uh, sportsman wished to accompany him on one of his expeditions for the experience of seeing a skilled market hunter at work. Now, Gene hunted ducks for profit and followed the flights of canvasbacks, mallards, and black ducks. Those were the three ducks that he mainly took and hunted. His houseboat was anchored under the shelter of Long Point, which was on the White Lake, pole for about a mile to some shallow ponds, and the shallow ponds were called crevices by the local market hunters. Here they entered blinds in which a flat-bottomed skiff offered comfortable seats and a shelf conveniently arranged to hold nearly a thousand shells. The other boats were then quickly concealed in the in the cane nearby. Where the decoys floated, the water was scarcely a half foot deep and open. There were two groups. Each group had a market hunter and a sportsman along. They were about 300 yards apart. So hunting in the crevice, Gene threw out the decoys along with a couple of live decoys. And at once produced a slender bamboo tube fitted with thin reed of gutta percha. G-U-T-T-A, P-E-R-C-H-A, gutta percha, and joined the course with an imitation so exact it seemed that even an old Mammy Mallard must be deceived. A pair of live domesticated Mallards, which I mentioned, hitherto unnoticed, joined the welcome notes from among the decoys. I might add that here in this 
crevices or small pond, they had thrown out rice the afternoon before. And they also, when they, this area would come dry, they planted rice. So around the pond, there was sown rice growing up also. And it had seeds on it. From his calling and also from the live decoys, the ducks came in wild flocks boldly towards the decoys and set their wings to light. Gene took the two most distant birds first and with four well-measured shots brought the four remaining ducks to bag. What are you shooting? Automatics. He said they are the best to kill plenty birds. Just then five reports and measured came from the other blind and it continued at that blind just like it did at Gene's blind. And Gene said as the sun rose above the horizon, many will come now. And many did. As the light spread over the whole sky, horsemen arose and swept the marsh with his binoculars from every point of the compass. So far as his vision could see and reach, ducks in pairs, trios, quartets, and larger flocks were winging their way towards their stand. Thousands were in sight all the time. Gene's guns were almost constantly in use. As soon as one was heated, he plunged the barrel partly in the water and laid it down to cool. While with the other automatic, he kept up his steady measured fuselage, scarcely ever failing to bring down the bird he shot at. Alternately calling and shooting, Gene continued the work of slaughter. That's not my words. That's the sportsman writing this story. Time and again, he saw him bring down four to five birds with the same number of well-aimed shots. Occasionally, he would catch two, sometimes three, with a single shot. But his object seemed to be to make clean kills of single birds and to make every shell count, and in this he succeeded to a remarkable degree. 280 ducks were counted out by 11 a.m. Canvasbacks, mallards, and black ducks comprising most of the bag. The sportsman asked, What is your limit? He answered, As many as I can kill, and as many as my market hunter friends can kill. The sportsman asked, But don't you shoot at teal and gadwalls and widgeons and pintails? He answered, The canvasbacks, French duck, and the black mallard are best for the market. The restaurateurs care not for the widgeon, gadwall, and pintail. Sometimes we shoot the blue-winged teal and green-winged teal, but when the big ducks are many, we no shoot little ones. Lunch disposed of, cigars were lighted, and Gene and the sportsman smoked while the other market hunter took a sack of rice and pulled away in his boat a mile or two to feed the two blinds that would be shot on the morrow, and by feed the means rice was scattered, like where they shot what I just mentioned. The sportsman asked, while smoking the cigar, How many ducks do you kill in a day, Gene? Oh, sometimes many, very many, three, four, or five hundred, sometimes very few, fifty, sixty, and sometimes the ducks come not at all. The sportsman asked, do you always get them to market? Yes, he responded, but sometimes the weather comes very warm and many ducks get bad. However, Gene was rather adverse to giving 
the sportsmen too much information and seemed relieved when they reached their houseboat later on. So that ends episode 33. I hope you enjoy it. And episode 34 will be on the Louisiana Arkansas Quack Off. And that's where they heard a duck calling contest. It happened because a Louisiana international duck calling champion touched off a controversy when he criticized the neighboring Arkansas style calling, saying it was strictly a contest call, a judge's call, not a duck's call. It definitely is not the birds, contended Raleigh Newman, 29 of Lake Charles, Louisiana, who won International Duck Calling Championship twice. So tune in for that episode. Tune in to my website, waterfowling.net. Visit my blog while you're there. You'll see a bunch of old stories that I haven't done a podcast on yet. So you can go through the blog and just at leisure, read whatever you desire. And look what I have for sale. If you're interested in any of that, give me an email and I'll get, respond back to you. So until episode 34, may God bless. <laughs>